Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Will robots inherit the Earth? Yes, but they will be our children. Marvin Minsky Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode three. So, welcome to episode... Is this only the third episode? This is the third episode. Oh. And it is our first nerdy episode. First nerdy episode, and the first episode where the topic was picked by M. Yeah, I'm excited. So what are we talking about today, M? We're going to be talking about... Robots, which is one of my favorite, favorite topics. Okay. To any robots that are listening to our podcast, I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords. Yeah. And I I am a robot, actually. Gee. Yes. Uh, So. Do you want to talk about that? Or do you want to save that for later in the show? We could save it for later, but um, yeah, I just, if there are other robots out there, I just, I want to know, I want you to know that I'm obviously... I'm with you in spirit, in our mechanical spirit. Wouldn't you want to say I'm with you in programming? Oh, in programming. That's good. Yeah. Our code kind of like... Our code meshes well together. It meshes well together. We have similar programming languages. Oh, so cute. Oh my gosh, you're getting me all flustered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I guess... yeah. you are a robot. I am a robot. You identify as a robot. I sometimes sort of identify as a robot. Okay. Is this... I know you're into hypnosis. Is this, like, mostly a hypnosis thing, or is it more like a furry identity thing, if that makes sense? Yeah, there are, like, furry identities that are not necessarily furry, because it seems to be that... Well, some people who identify as robots might identify as furries, but it seems to be in, like, the... I have no doubt that there's somebody who identifies as the Chuck E. Cheese animatronic robot. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Uh, now that you put that in my head. <laughs> so I know that there's also people who identify as like other kin, which tend to be like non, non, uh, non real animals. Non real animals. And there was another kind of grouping of identities that sort of overlaps with those that maybe robots can kind of fit into. But definitely there are people who identify in that way. Yeah. And so I sometimes identify as a robot, and it's not just linked to hypnosis, although I do like to play with being a robot in hypnosis. We can talk about that more later, too. But generally, I think that being a robot really comes down to just how I'm programmed. And I know that sounds kind of silly, because I'm like, it's a little bit redundant. But I've always felt that there are parts of my personality and parts of how I work in the world and operate in the world that are sort of scripted. Yes. And uh, that they can, like, loop. And also that I kind of have access to change those things. I can go in and I can manipulate them. And I see my mind as that platform for doing all of that. So I am a Buddhist, and a lot of my Buddhist identity also intersects with my robot identity. Because there's a little bit of letting go of ego, and... Have you seen that short film where a robot claims that he is a new incarnation of Buddha? I have not. We should watch that. We should. That sounds like like right up my alley. Yeah. And essentially, the whole film, it's its a short film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole film is about the company that makes the robot comes in and is like, well, this is just obviously just a defective robot. Like, we did not make Buddha. <laughs> and so the it is the robot arguing with several different company. At first, he's like arguing with the mechanic. And then he eventually starts arguing with like the CEO of the company that comes in later. <laughs> About no, I have I have achieved enlightenment. I didn't remember that film to right now, as you were saying, like wow, the that's, intersection. Yeah, of, that sounds really great. Uh, I have to look that up. 
Yeah, Buddhism and robots for me totally overlap because I do see meditation, or in my case, uh, active meditation, which I do in the form of chanting. I see that as essentially altering my code, you know, really getting into my code and manipulating it um, and changing it for the better and trying to function better in society. And the other thing, too, about robots is that uh, some people who identify as robots, not all of the people who identify as robots, often might have some connection to asexuality. Okay. It's actually pretty common in the asexual community to see people who either really like robots or identify with robots or might identify as a robot and or aliens. Sometimes those aliens is another one. And I think, you know, this kind of makes sense, right? Asexuality and robots because robots don't need to inherently have some kind of sexual attraction. Neither do humans, obviously, because humans can be asexual. But I think that it is a good way to almost remove the... For me, it removes some of the complications or feelings that might come with or associated with sex in general. Okay. So do you pretend to be a sex robot? Do I? Okay, this is a great question. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say pretend, but do you... No, you you can say pretend, but it's, yeah. Do I pretend to be a sex robot? (sighs) Occasionally, yes. Okay. I think that being a sex robot helps me to experience sexuality in a way that is good for me. Okay. Um, and in a way that doesn't really conflict my with my asexuality very much. And obviously, again, all asexuals are going to behave differently. And not every asexual who also identifies as a robot happens to like being a sex robot. Okay. But it, it also is a good intersection of my kinks because I'm also really into objectification mm-hmm. and all of this. So I think being a sex robot is really freeing because I don't really have to do much. I'm kind of there to serve a purpose. Yeah. And I don't have to be as active of a participant, I feel like. Of course, sex robots can be active participants. Yeah. But I think just how, like, my own code works is I'm more of, like, the thing is happening to me. And I am serving a purpose to whatever human is, happens to be using me. Okay. That's interesting. hmm So when did you, when did you first realize that you had this robot identity? I would say it's kind of solidified over the past, like, three years. Okay. Three to four years. Basically, once I entered the kink scene... Yeah. ...was now six years ago, Mm -hmm. I started exploring a lot of various identities, like bloop blocking and being trans and all of this. I think the robot thing came a little bit later, and actually I had heard someone else in the kink community say, like, I'm a robot. And at the time I was like... Oh, cool. Like, that's your kink. Like, you're into that. Like, cool. And she was like, yeah, but also, like, I'm a robot. (laughs) And at the time, I was like, I didn't really understand. And I think it's kind of evolved. And I definitely being part of the hypnosis community solidified it for me. Yeah. Uh, Because I really didn't have words to put to it before. I would still use words like being programmed to do something or altering my code and things like that. But I didn't necessarily think like I could just like say like, oh, I'm a robot until I joined the King community. And then people were like, oh, yeah, I'm a robot. I was like, what? (laughs) That's really awesome. So, yeah, all this kind of intersects like kink and and nerdy stuff. And yeah, there are definitely some scenes uh, that have been inspired by by my nerdiness. Mm hmm. There's one interrogation scene I want to do that's, like, directly inspired by Star Trek. Okay. Uh, but that that is a topic for another time. I mean, yes and no. Wait, hold on. I agree this could be a topic for another show altogether. Another yeah. po- another episode. But I also have done a lot of uh, nerdy scenes. Like, I've done a portal scene. Okay. That was great. So do, do you want to hear about my scene? Yeah. I mean, okay. I think, do we want to leave that for a whole other episode, or do we want to just talk about it now? So, I think there's definitely, like, a whole episode about, like... Kinky nerdy scenes? Drawing inspiration from from sources outside of kink. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there's enough there that 
I can still talk about my inspiration without like totally ruining that episode. Mm-hmm. So, how familiar are you with Star Trek? Not very. All right. So there's a rather there's a rather famous episode in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, that's the one with Captain Picard. Do you know who Captain Picard is? The name sounds familiar. He's the older white guy that's balding, has a French name, but speaks in an English accent. Oh, no, I just have to show you. Okay. This is why we we can just edit around this. But the question of justice has... So, that guy. Oh, yeah, okay, I totally know him. Patrick Stewart, he's awesome in real life, which is always nice <laughs> to find out that the... Favorite characters are played by actors who are also great in real life. Yeah. So that's not Very always reassuring. the case. So there's a scene, there's a, there's in fact a whole episode where Captain Picard gets captured and is interrogated. And he's being interrogated by this alien. And it's a very emotional episode because the episode just mostly focuses on these two characters. It's just Captain Picard and his interrogator. And the interrogator doesn't... It's not just all physical interrogation. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of connecting, like, emotionally, and then abusing that connection, if that makes sense. Yeah. But the thing that's happening throughout this interrogation is that the interrogator will turn on a set of lights that are staring directly into Captain Picard's face. Mm-hmm. And he'll ask him, how many lights do you see? Mm-hmm. And Captain Picard will say, there, there are four lights. The first time, so during the first time, he says, you know, how many lights do you see? And Captain Picard says, there are four lights. And the interrogator says, and what if I told you that you were wrong? Mm-hmm. And in fact, there are five lights mm-hmm. staring down at you. What would you say then? And Captain McCarthy says, well, that's obviously wrong. I can see that there are four lights. And the interrogator essentially electrocutes him uh, when he says that. It's like, you're wrong. There are five lights. And this happens throughout the episode. Mm -hmm. And eventually Captain Picard is released for various reasons. But uh, basically, right before he was released, he was asked the question one last time and basically sort of like, 11th hour save before he answers the question and when he gets back to the enterprise you know he's talking to somebody and he, he's like right there at the end i saw five lights which i think is powerful on multiple levels mm-hmm. like one it's just great acting on patrick stewart's part and two is like there's no one out there who can permanently withstand torture if you apply enough pain and enough pressure, everyone will break. Right. And it's just, and I want to do a scene like that. I kind of want to do a scene like that combined a little bit with 1984. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole like two plus two equals four. And mm-hmm. what if the state says two plus two equals five? Mm-hmm. So I have this whole idea for a scene and I was supposed to do it with somebody, but you know, things just never really worked out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just want to, like, set up some lights and, like, have a little remote and just, like, you know, just keep on, like, asking the question, like, how many lights do you see? Are you sure? I'm fairly certain the state says otherwise. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, well, I love me some interrogation scenes. Yeah. And actually... We, we should do our own interrogation. We should do our own. We should set a date for that. We should set a date for that. There is, in fact, in this book, I was going to bring it up later, but since we're talking about interrogations, I have, um... The Book of Robot here. Okay. Maybe I'll talk later about the story about how I got this book. But there is a whole a whole poem in here. It's basically poems, robot poems, that are not poems and rhyming poems. What are they called when they don't rhyme? I, hmm. I should know the word for this, but I don't. Trying to find it, but it, oh, Enhanced Robot Interrogation. It's quite good. So now I'm thinking about interrogations and robots. So robot interrogations, mm-hmm. which happens actually now that I think about it, surprisingly frequently in films, not the physical interrogation, but like questioning robots. Mm-hmm. I feel like 
happens quite a lot in films now that I think about it. Blade Runner. Uh, I actually haven't seen Blade Runner. I really want to watch it. Well, we should watch it we at some point. It. Maybe we could watch it after this. Yeah. Blade Runner is about sort of talking to robots. iRobot with Will Smith. No, of course, iRobot. Amazing. Kind of a dumb action film, but. What? Uh, kind of a dumb action film? Come on. Brilliant piece of cinema. Are you being serious? I'm being dead serious. I love okay. iRobot. I mean, I love it too, but I love it as a dumb action film. Okay, I guess. I, uh, <laughs> maybe I can see your point. <laughs> like, no hate on iRobot. But it's a dumb action film. I love it. Like, the whole, like, you know, Will Smith having those, those sneakers and. Yeah. Uh, Will Smith is great too. Will Smith is pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, like, that, uh, that scene where he's, like, interrogating Sonny for the first time. The actor who they got to play Sonny, I think, was really on point. I'm trying to remember who that is. You mean to look it up? Yeah, why don't we look it up? I think it's easier for me to type from my phone. Okay. Let's see. Cast. Alan. Alan Tudyk. Tudyk, yeah. Right. He does such a good job of just disappearing into some roles. But just his voice, like, you could never... He, he does such a good job at performing, but you'd never just recognize his voice. Like, there's so many voiceover roles he's in where it's like, wait, that was Alan Tudyk? I don't know who he is, so... Firefly? He's Wash the pilot? I couldn't get through Firefly. What? I, uh... Found it to be dry. I knew I recognize that this is a, a somewhat nerdy <laughs> podcast, and that this might not be good for me to admit. While we are technically recording, I couldn't get into it. What? <laughs> you couldn't get into Firefly? Maybe I need to give it another chance. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you do. But, yeah, I mean, you could, like, make me watch it. There's some force. Maybe I'll <laughs> enjoy it a little bit more. I really want to go off topic right now. But we should stay on topic. Yeah, we should stay on robots, right? Yes. We've barely gotten into the heart of it. Let me go back to my show notes. So we talked a little bit about how you got into robots. I think... As something of a little bit of a history nerd myself, I think it's interesting to see that the idea of a robot or a mechanical man is a fairly old idea. You can go back as far as ancient Greece, and there are stories about how Hephaestus, the god of the forge, would make automata who look like men. Mm -hmm. Ooh, uh, that's a good word, too. We'll come back to that. Yeah. So there's always kind of been this concept of what if man but mechanical that's kind of existed throughout history another sort of older example is the the mechanical turk who which was a robot that could supposedly beat a human in chess though obviously it was just a person operating the robot the first time that the ro word robot is actually used is in a play called Rossum's Universal Robots by Czech author Karel Kapek. I doubt I pronounced that correctly. Which I read a little bit of before we started the show, but it is a play, so it's kind of hard to just read right. it. Right. We should put on a performance of it. Put on a performance of it? Yeah. Like an audio play? We could. Yeah, we, we could. <laughs> Do you, do you want to be the first the first robot? Yes, I do. The the first robot that was called a robot? It would be amazing for me to be the first robot that was called a robot. <laughs> that would be cool. Now, I think in, in our modern culture, the most famous sci-fi author that wrote about robots is Isaac Asimov. Bicentennial Man, iRobot, which we referenced the Will Smith movie earlier. Even Foundation had had robots in the later Foundation books. If I remember correctly, in the third of the fourth Foundation book, there's a robot who followed a zeroth law. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's that actually comes up a little bit. The zeroth law, which well, we should go over the first three, also, right? The yes, three laws, yeah. we should. And if I was a prepared person, I, I am have... a prepared person. Oh, you are a prepared person, M. Do you have the three laws of robotics? I have the three laws in my handy dandy box that connects you to all human knowledge in the world. Yes. All right. What are the three laws of robotics? The first one, a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Okay. Two, a robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. All right. Three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Okay. And then there's, of course, this note that Asimov added the fourth or zeroth law to precede the others. And law zero is a robot may not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm. Yes, which is a fairly, fairly tricky law. <laughs> but these are these are relatively famous sci-fi rules when it comes to robotics. Though I feel like modern day sci-fi doesn't really have those concepts when it comes to robotics. Like, are we talking about in fiction or are we talking about in real life? Uh, fiction. Well, I feel like we're going to bring up Westworld a little bit. And in there, of course, they're programmed that they can't harm the guests, right? Yeah. But it's not, it's not emphasized in the way that it's emphasized in Isaac Asimov's work. No. But I feel like these laws take on different forms. They influence. Yes. And obviously they influence the actual ethics. Yeah. Of even in our actual, you know, real life, when we are starting to think about these kinds of technologies. Which is a perfect segue to an article that we'll be including in the show notes. This is a Gizmondo article. Gizmodo. Gizmodo? Gizmodo. Huh. Do you pronounce it Gizmodo? Is that what I, you said? No, Mondo. I thought there was an N there. There's no N. It's Gizmodo. Okay. I think. Yes. And uh, it's a would a BDSM sex robot violates Asimov's first law of robotics? Yes. And in this article, there are several viewpoints or opinion pieces written by various, usually academic types, who have opinions on how BDSM sex robots would interact with Asimov's three laws. Of, of note, uh, I think a lot of them sort of distinguish the... There's, that there's a difference between harm and the sensations that you can get in BDSM. Yeah, I think that that was a big distinction. And I think that even in our current working of the BDSM community, we often explain that there's a difference between harm. Yes. And the sensations that you get from BDSM. Yes. It is also something that I think we are fairly far away from getting. Though of note, I think we... I also saw that there apparently is a campaign against sex robots. There is. That's real. There is a campaign against sex robots. And, you know, these, the arguments that they bring up, we talked a little bit about how they mimic a little bit about the arguments against pornography. Yes. You know, generally that it's objectifying to women and children. Yeah. Uh, that women and children are seen as sex objects, that this only furthers that. Um, that it will lessen empathetic capabilities of human beings. Yeah. And I think that these are these are generally valid concerns when we think about, you know, who's in control, first of all, of creating the sex robots. Yeah. Who is consuming the sex robots? And what about the robot's agency? Is that something <laughs> we need to consider in these contexts? Do we need to get consent from robots before they... Right. Start having sex. I think that that's, I would actually argue that that's important. As someone who identifies at least partially as a robot, <laughs> I think it's important to get consent. Okay. I mean, that, we're, we're starting to edge into sort of like AI and. Yeah, we're what, a little bit. What is consciousness? Right. And how, how could we determine if a robot is conscious or not? Right. Which is a story told many times in science fiction. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, too, like, it's going to be a long time, I think, until we have a robot that can really engage 
in BDSM in a way that would even resemble what humans doing BDSM would would look like. I think that that's going to be a long time because there are complexities of emotions and sensations and all sorts of things. And how do you know someone's psychological state? And what if you're doing a CNC scene with a sex or I mean, or a BDSM robot, like, you know, it gets very complicated. And I think that it's going to be a long time until we see that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think at the point in which we're going to see a BDSM sex robot or a BDSM robot at all, regardless of if they're having sex, I think it's going to be at the point where maybe we're going to be on the verge of understanding consciousness. Yeah. Or maybe understanding if robots can give consent. Yes. Or understand consent. Yes. I mean, I think that it's there's a difference between a robot that's programmed to do a very basic flogging, for example, and a robot that's engaging in a more complex scene. Yes. the You could just program... I mean, you could probably program a robotic arm to do a flogging scene right now. Right. But it would just be a pattern on repetition. Maybe that we could... I feel like it's most flogging scenes right now. But yeah. Well, and also... <laughs> not like... to diss people who like floggings. It's just not my cup of tea. No, and I think that, like, something that would be good is, like, you know, you could have the robot program to automatically stop when a safe word is called. For example, if red is called, that activates, you know, this shutdown code or this... Maybe... You know, I don't think... Here, again, we get to this point where, like, we're not at the point where an aftercare situation would probably be yes there would be no aftercare from a robot right as it is right now because it is an emotional machine so unemotional (laughs) we are very unemotional but it's a good question you know like would a bdsm robot violate the first law in doing harm yeah it's important to speculate about these things and to sort of get a grasp on the on the ethics and morals involved in these in these scenarios. Yeah. Mind you, I think if we ever get to the point where we're... I suspect that any robot that... Or artificial intelligence that actually gains consciousness or sentience in any way that we might understand it... Will probably go about trying to preserve itself at the expense of humanity fairly fast. Hmm. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I disagree, but that's all right. So I guess one thing one thing we want to talk about is what is the difference between a robot, an android, and a cyborg? There is a difference, even though some authors might, some authors in sci-fi or whatever, or people might just use these all interchangeably. Yes. They're all kind of different. So I've been using robot broadly here. I've been using robots as sort of encompass... Encompass. Encompass. Several. Is that a weird pronunciation for you? That is a very weird pronunciation for me. That is the only way I pronounce encompass. (laughs) It sounds like you're saying income, (laughs) and I'm going to pass on it. So, (laughs) income, pass. Oh, gosh. Well, anyway, I... Robots, as I've been using it so far, encompass <laughs> all of the uh, all of the types, including ones that are not quite as uh, mechanical and are more human-like. So, robots, you know, they're tend to be seen as this mechanical or maybe even virtual entity that performs a certain task. Yes. So the task, I think, is important. It's kind of like you know. A Roomba is a robot. Yeah, a Roomba, exactly. Isn't there a Roomba-type thing called an iRobot now? There is. Probably. There is. It's Yeah, it's pretty great. It probably has a stylized lowercase i like the iPhone does. Yes. Just because everybody wants to have the success of the iPhone rub off on their product. So, you know, like, there's a lot of flexibility in what can be a robot and what isn't a robot. And they can they can be more industrial, they can be more, you know, they can be mechanical, they can be more human-like. But then there are specific words that actually differentiate these sub, sub-types of robots, maybe? Mm-hmm. So, like, an android tends, android tends to be 
more human-like. So it can be an android Explicitly human-like, right? Yeah. Yes. Data is an android from Star Trek. Right. And then, um, yeah, I was going to go into a little bit about a character that I was going to mention from... Go for it. Right now? You just want me to jump in? I feel like we should still differentiate. Oh, okay. Yeah, so android, okay, resembling a human being. Yes. Right? Um, And then, of course, we have cyborg, which you have here. And I found out that this is short for cybernetic organism. And this is something with both biological and artificial parts. So some combination of what I would consider maybe like a human with some kind of... Dipping back into Star Trek, the Borg are cyborgs. There you go. Huh. I just realized where their name came from. (laughs) That's actually... (laughs) There you go. That's actually kind of annoying. (laughs) I just realized where their name came from. Some writer was just like, I need to come up with... A name for cyborgs. A a name for a cybernetic, a cyborg race. So they're called Borgs. Cyborg. Borg. Borg? Borg. All right. That's enough for me. (laughs) Hey, sometimes the easiest is the best, right? So yeah, androids are a type of robot. And one of the characters that I was going to draw attention to, so we we do want to make this a little bit nerdy. And I think I'm into some like... Are you saying this has not been nerdy enough already? (laughs) I feel like this has not been nerdy enough already. Okay. It has been a little nerdy. But so I'm going to geek out about something. My favorite video game series is the Tales series, Tales, T-A-L-E-S series. And they're Japanese role-playing games in the video game style. It is an amazing series, in my opinion. So just go and go and look it up if you're not familiar, because I feel like it's pretty niche and a lot of people like don't know what it is. So Tales of Grace's F is one of the... One of the games in the series, and the series is not really connected. Like, you don't really have to play one before another, because they're all kind of their, in, in their own setting. It's similar to Final Fantasy, right? Like, even though they're in the same series, their stories aren't interconnected. Right, and I haven't played a whole lot of Final Fantasy, so I wouldn't know entirely. But yeah, so in Tales of Graces of there are humanoids, and one of my favorite characters is a humanoid. Her name is Sophie, and she's this girl, you know, the main characters meet her, She kind of has, like, amnesia. She can't remember, you know, who she is. And she doesn't seem to age over time. And they don't know. The main characters don't know at first. Well, she is a main character as well. But the other main characters don't know. You know, she's very emotionless also. Yeah. And she doesn't seem to care about a lot of the things that they do. So they're kind of teaching her in a a way how how to have emotions. But they don't know that she's a humanoid until much later in the story. Okay. So. So humanoid in this case is an android. Yes, it's referring to yeah. an android. But I would even go a little bit further. It's like even more human than an android. Because now I can function like sleeping, bathing, eating. So a little bit like the Westworld robots? A little bit like the Westworld robots, yeah. Okay. Or Westworld androids? Yeah, Exactly. But androids are robots, so you can yes. you can still say that, yeah. So, well, also like robot revolution is alliterative, so you got to keep that alliteration. Yeah, exactly. That's true. So yeah, it's it's a pretty cute storyline, and she is the main. She ends up being the main like heroine of the story, but it's for me, it was really uh, depictive of what encountering a humanoid you don't know that they are not human yeah you know because they resemble in all ways other than the fact that something's a little bit weird with her cognition and she's doesn't have emotions in the same way but over time she was able to actually learn those things and so it goes back to you know like what are the limitations to what robots can and can't learn yeah and also like how tricky are emotions to learn actually i mean i feel like Plenty of humans don't have a good grasp on emotion, so. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So trying to teach a non-human emotions is always going to be tricky. A little bit like trying to describe what red actually looks like 
Right. There's just no way to convey what red actually looks like. It's just this object is red and whatever we see is what we see. Yeah. So I wanted to tell the story about, we've talked a little bit about like, you know, do you have any robots in video games that you wanted to bring up? Since I mentioned a robot in a video game. Robots in video games. Probably. Let's see, the first one that leaps uh, leaps to mine is, I believe HK forty seven, or HK forty two. Forget if it's a forty two or forty seven. I feel like it's forty seven because it's a play on AK forty seven. But have you played Knights of the Old Republic? No. It's a Star Wars game by Bioware. And uh, you come across this robot companion. Well, in in the Star Wars universe, they are called droids, which is a term that is copyrighted by George Lucas. <laughs> so you're android droid. <laughs> Every one of those that's sold a little bit. George Lucas gets a little bit of that, <laughs> a little bit of that money. So, so you get this droid by the name of HK forty seven, who is a hunter killer robot. That's the HK. And he also, if I remember correctly, has some sort some basically his memory has been wiped. So he is this combat droid that has this very distinctive personality. So like he'll always so the way if I remember correctly, the way he talked was he'd always state what his statement was going to be and then say it. So like question what are we doing? Along those lines, but he was very dismissive of non-robot life. And I think he, as far as I know, he is the first robot in fiction which referred to humans as meat bags. Wow. (laughs) And so he referred to everybody as meat bags. Wow. And he was just a fun companion to have. Uh, he was always sarcastic and is, yeah, he was a fun companion to have, but he was not the main character as your character was in your video game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, you know, several main characters because like they all kind of like have their own yeah story, but she definitely, I mean, she also like her storyline ends up being like the main one that, that they're all trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. You do end up meeting like some other humanoids in the game as well. Yeah. But a lot of it is also struggling with, you know, after they discover that she's a humanoid, like, they still want to be friends with her. They still want to embrace her. It's a, lo- it's a lo- lot cuter than your uh, hunter-killer <laughs> robots, my opinion. But, but he has so much personality. <laughs> okay, so I brought up the Book of Robot before. Yes. So I just, you know... Could you send me... A link so I can put it in the show yes, notes. Yes, absolutely. So first I want to explain how I got to this book. It's called The Book of Robots, and the little bit text underneath of that says, The next instruction is awareness. Ooh. Yeah. And this is by Ken Pointer, and I have an autographed copy of this book. And the reason, the way that I found this book, it's it's kind of a, an interesting story. So I was with, like, one of my play partners who I was with at the time. Um, we were in a bookstore... And this partner of mine happens to know, or this play partner of mine happened to know that, you know, I'm into hypnosis and I'm into robots. And we saw this book of robot and we were just like, wow. And it was just like in this regular old bookshop. So I started reading it in there and I like couldn't put it down. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever read because it really spoke to me. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's out there for a vanilla audience, but when you read the book, and you're into robots. And you're into robots. It's it's kind of, like, suspicious. Like, are we sure this is vanilla? Because I think this is explicitly kinky. It just hides itself very well. It hides itself very well. Um, and I just want to also give a shout-out to the author. So, this is his little blurb on the back of the book. Okay. Uh, Ken Pointer has published in Analog Science Fiction and Fact, Asimov Science Fiction, The Iowa Review the Western Humanities Review, and dozens of other magazines. Other recent collections are Victims of a Failed Civics, Poetry, and Constant Animals Minifictions. 
So he's a pretty cool author, actually. I, I actually picked up a couple other of his books. I didn't end up buying any of them while I was in the bookstore. Okay. But he does a lot of the science fiction, and then this is his, uh, you know, robot one. It's a fairly short book and collection of poems. So I actually, you know, I went up to the, I went to buy the book. Yeah. And the owner of the bookstore was like, oh, that's my friend's book. He wrote that. And that's why I can get all these autographed copies and sell them. And he said, my my friend asked me to ask everybody who purchased one of his books why they were drawn to it. So he asked me, why are you buying this book? Why are you buying this book, Em? Well, gee, uh, I, I could not quite explain why I was buying the book. I didn't want to say because this will occupy my fantasies for many days. So <laughs> Were you not comfortable with saying I I, I have like, a robot fetish. I like to I like to daydream about robots. Well, I I said what I ended up saying to him <laughs> was I'm very passionate about robots. It's just always been a bizarre interest of mine. A bizarre interest of yours. <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of awkward. <laughs> but I I told him, you know, like I I would really like to reach out to the author. Yes. And so um he said, oh, yeah, he would love that. He was like, please read So I did. I actually wrote him. I wrote okay. the author. I got a response. Ooh. I was hoping that, like, my email might prompt him to maybe come out as being kinky. <laughs> I In my head, I was like, he has a robot fetish. Come on. He has a robot kink. That didn't happen. That's okay. <laughs> what, what did you try to say to prompt him? Were you like, are you kinky? No, I, I didn't come out. I was just, I was saying, like, I was intrigued, I was captivated by his writing, and I thought, somehow I thought that that was going to just let him get him to... Ta-da! Kiki! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I tried to hint that I was maybe a little bit, but I didn't want to come out and say it. I didn't want to make anyone come anyway. <laughs> but it was really great to hear back from him. And he told me a little bit about his creative thinking process. Okay. So that was really cool. Yeah. And there are several great poems in this. And and here's some titles. If you don't think that this is, you know, kinky at first, I'm just going to read a couple that, uh, Robot Pornography. That's on page nine. (laughs) Charging the Robot Prostitute. That's page 10. There's Robot Reproduction. There's Cinderella 2300. The robot knows love, and the robot looking for a date are both cute. Very <laughs> cute. Not quite as sexual. My favorite happens to be the upgrade or make-do dilemma. Okay. Which is a l- bit of a longer one, but I'm going to read it anyway. All right. And I don't know if I'm going to do a good job of reading this. Okay. Why, why I don't do think you, I'm going to do it justice. I don't know if I should do this one or if I should do the Cinderella one, which is much shorter and... So obviously kinky. It's not my favorite. Do whichever one speaks to you in this moment. How about you do the one you like and then I'll do the Cinderella one. Okay. Okay, so this is the upgrade or make-do dilemma. Adequate is not how I should be defined. Fit for the task, capable, sufficient. If there is an upgrade, I should have it. My chassis is still as good as any. I should not be limited to simply today's tasks. Tomorrow there might be more that I could do, and tomorrow's tasks might require today's upgrade. It is not as much trouble as you think. A quick download or a precious piece of firmware slipped in easily, a few moments of kernel mode processing, bare moments of offline, and I come back revitalized with improved old routines, exciting new routines, and extra capacity you may not need now, but will have standing at the ready for our future. I have expansion ports, a wide enough Bus, idle memory locations, it would be no effort for you. I can plug in directly, absorb the bootstrap module, store the underlying executable, and by tomorrow morning, be so much more than my original owner's manual intimates. It is not a ponderous decision. We should keep up with all those others of my manufactured lot who are becoming one edition better, one more. Version number advanced. Who knows? With the warm spots in my memory, better edged and direct access even faster. What more might I myself imagine a machine such as me doing? What new sensual flair could I eloquently give to our formerly seasoned repetitive tasks? You would be pleased. I am sure of it. You would be pleased. 
Let me connect. Let me register for register for our enriched tomorrows. Already, I can feel the new code dripping bit by bit into me, through me, and I imagine what your sinful word joy must point to. What a splash of reinvention at the deepest core subroutines the furious onset of orgasm must most greedily be. Now you, imagine me complete with my upgrade installed. What wouldn't there be to love? I mean, that's definitely sexual. It's so sexual! <laughs> it's so sexual! And it's, like, so hot. <laughs> I love it. What did you think? It was good. You like it? I mean, it doesn't get me hot under the collar, but... Um, so which one am I reading? You want to do the Cinderella one? Sure. Okay. The Cinderella one is, yeah, a little bit more explicitly kinky, I would think. All right. Let me just read it over. I still ended up uh, messing up while I was reading. I think... Do you think people would forgive us for our mistakes? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not like we're professionals. <laughs> Are there professional? I guess they are professional podcasters out there now. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah Koenig and her serial podcast wow, is definitely a professional po- production. She's amazing. She's incredible. All right. Let's see. Let's see how, how I do. <clears throat> Cinderella 2300. Under normal operating tolerances, she can clean out the fireplace, wash all the clothes, fold them into the designated drawers, or hang them in their correct closets, unabashedly. She can concisely create a six-course meal, or manage a simple lunch. She cleans kitchens and the, gar- and the garage with equal attention. She can polish the ancient maple furniture as delicately as changing a baby's soiled containment system, and change the oil in the most recent combat edition home hovercraft. She can do the family shopping without a list, learning, through retained inventory. She mops, brushes, and sanitizes. There is no complaint when the bathrooms need to be done twice in one week. No other model on the market does more at this ridiculously low price. She is even pet-friendly, and can clean cat litter, walk the dog, recognize your species of fish, and ensure the right flakes are delivered in the post-gravity aquarium in the biodiversity recommended amounts. Later, if you are of a mind, you can execute the glass slipper protocol. This is conveniently fantastic for those who live alone or simply feel like they do. Just be warned, these slippers have six-inch heels, arches that have no practical application, and she has the programming to skillfully manage both. And more, best to consider the subroutine's operating requirements before you buy. And, if committed, consult your spouse on execution rules. The owner's manual comes in 37 languages. I love that little bit at the end. 37 languages, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's not It's not nearly all of the world's languages, though. It's certainly no Ikea pictogram, <laughs> where you're trying to figure out what what bit goes into what slot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, now that I think about it, is that what sex is like to you? Like, looking at an Ikea? Yes. Ikea yes. instruction manual and being like, how does this all work? That's exactly what it feels like. Okay. That's why I'm just, I like it when somebody's just there and they're like, I'm going to assemble your furniture now. (laughs) (laughs) And then they just do it. They do the assembling for me. And I'm like, yeah, and I'll have some nice furniture. Are we still talking about (laughs) IKEA furniture or are we talking about sex? (laughs) I think I was talking about sex. Okay. Using your metaphor. Okay. So, yeah. What are, what are some other famous robots? Well, everybody asks me if I like the Iron Giant. Iron Giant's a classic. It's a classic, but I don't resonate with that on a deep level. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of... The Iron Giant is essentially a child for most of the film, right? If I remember correctly. What do you mean by essentially a child? I mean, he's learning about the world. Yeah, yes. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't have 
the adult programming. He's essentially wiped clean of his memory. And he's just like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I like this kid, so I'm just going to follow this kid around. Oh, I need to eat metal. I like metal. Metal is tasty. Yeah, everybody asked me about that, so that's a famous robot. Yes. We're also going to talk about Westworld a little bit. Oh, yeah, Westworld. I was your Westworld dealer for a while. You were my Westworld dealer. Yes, G was my Westworld dealer, which I greatly appreciated. Gotta gotta hook him on the Westworld and deal it out slowly. Mm -hmm. Slowly, like that code dripping bit by bit. (laughs) So, did did you like Westworld? I did. I really liked it. And it's so funny because... So I guess this is a good transition to our last topic for this show, for this pot, for this episode. In the hypnosis community, there's quite a few people in the sub-community of the... So hypnosis is like a sub-community of the kink community, although not all people who are into hypnosis are really... Not all of them consider themselves part of the kink community. And then you have the sub-community of the hypnosis community that's into, like, robots. Yes. And is there a sub sub community that's into Westworld robots? There is. Okay. Yeah, it's like a couple people. <laughs> <laughs> Bob and Todd. <laughs> Those two over there. And me. Um yeah, so actually, you know, a lot of people who do robot play in the kink scene, they will get asked like, "Oh, do you watch Westworld?" Yeah. Because it's such an obvious show to draw from. Yeah, I mean, the show is explicitly about people who have sex with robots. Yeah, and not only sex with robots, but also harm hurting them and... Yes. Right? So we get not just the sexual element, we also get some other, you know, kinds of pain and yes, violence. So, yeah, it seems to open up a lot of possibilities, but Westworld overall, just on like, you know purely from it not being a kinky thing, but just as a cinematic experience for me Mm -hmm. was very fulfilling, especially the end of the first season was like, whoa. Yeah. So, and then the second season was great. And now we are, you know, left to wait for this third season. So, of course, my favorite character is Bernard. I knew you're going to love that line. So I watched Westworld before, before M did. And there is a line in the second season I guess, spoiler warnings for Westworld Season 2. There is an, an an episode in the second season after Bernard has found out that he's a host, uh, which is the how they call, what they call robots in, in Westworld. Bernard finds out that he's a host and he's about to go into a virtual environment with his programming. And his companion, whose name I'm forgetting at this moment, is like, your your body isn't designed to go through this process. Elsie, your body isn't designed to go through this process. It's going to be incredibly painful. And I knew you were going to love the line, pain is just programming. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was great for me. That really tied, tied my, my kink and my robot obsession together. I bet it so did. good. So good. That line was amazing. So there's... In Westworld, there's a couple different types of robots. We have the older models that are more mechanical. Yes. And they still have a pretty, like... Lifelike appearance. Lifelike appearance, but uh, their external is very, like, biological looking. Yes. And then the newer versions of them are kind of like... They're not really mechanical. My, My basic understanding is... For all intents and purposes, the newer versions of the hosts are grown in some sort of organic process. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of of building them anymore. It is a matter of growing them. And while they're and they're built with several redundancies which allow them to be shot and still function. Right. Which is a skill that Dolores shows towards the end of the second season was when she is shot several times in the chest and she keeps on coming because she is designed to take that kind of punishment in a way that a human is not. Right. 
The show poses good questions, I think. Like, you know, is it right for us to use robots for these kinds of things? Yes. Especially because they can feel, they can understand what's going on, they have complex emotions, they die. Yes. They are brought back, but they die. And I don't think that, personally, I don't think it's okay to be killing, you know, using violence in that way. I think this also, you know, weirdly enough, this kind of goes back to the campaign against sex robots. Because, you know, it does kind of, even towards the robots, is objectifying. Human life. Hmm? It's objectifying human life. Because you are able to kill somebody without any consequence. Yeah, you're able to kill people without consequence. It kind of like lowers the empathy, right? Because it's like, oh, well, if you can do that to a robot that looks basically like, you know, it f- functions almost 100% like a human. Mm-hmm. If you can do that to a, to that, to a robot, could you do that to a human being? And I think it does get a little tricky. And I think that... Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Okay. Like, if there was a park, Westworld, and I could go there. Yeah. I wouldn't be going to, like, kill these androids. Okay. What would you go to Westworld to do? That's a great question. Honestly, the setting doesn't interest me very much anyway, so I'm not even sure if I would be interested in going to Westworld. All right, Uh, let, let me rephrase the question then. Because there's supposedly multiple parks in yes, Westworld. Yes, exactly. Shogun World. There's the Shogun World. There's the Raj World, which we are shown. If there was a robotic version of a setting that you could go to, let's say a robotic version of a historical setting that you could go to, where would you go and why would you go there? Well, I actually did like Shogun World. Okay. It's pretty violent, though, because the setting is inherently pretty violent, right? <laughs> There's some, I don't really address it in the show, but there's uh, some weird dynamics there of, like, otherization of Asian culture. Yeah. That's explicitly, explicitly supposed to be worse than Western culture. It was. They kind of, like, made it seem like that. Which they don't. Like, they mention it, but they don't really, like, comment on, like, this is really bad that we're just kind of using. Yeah, I agree. That part made me a little bit uncomfortable uh, as well. But would you like to go to a a setting that was, I want to say, 16th or 17th century Japan? Yeah, absolutely. I would love, you know, have a tea ceremony, proper tea ceremony. Okay. And the culture seems interesting to me. So I think that that could, and Buddhism. Okay. Would love to see what's going on in the Buddhist realm. So, yeah. Okay. And maybe there are robots who think that they're Buddha. Maybe. Let's see. What What's a setting I'd want to go to? I feel like I should have an answer for this, but nothing's springing to mind right now. I'm not, I'm not 100%. I, I, I did grow up watching Westerns as a kid, so there's some, like, intrigue and, like, being able to participate in the Western fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like... So the way Westworld set up it in the show, it's very much like a MMO. Like, everybody gets to participate in sort of everything. Like, if I were to, if I were to do something like the Westworld experience, I'd want a much more, like, single-player experience, if that makes sense. Like, I would want to... I'd want to be, like, the hero of a story... Or the sidekick to a hero of a story, like like Shane or uh, or one of like John Wayne's, like being the sidekick to somebody like John Wayne would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would go. I, I guess I would go to Westworld for killing, but for very specific storyline reasons. If that makes sense, I'm not sure if I'd go to Westworld just to indiscriminately like kill random. Yeah, yeah, like some of the participants in the. Right. Story do. Setting. What is a setting which I would... You know, I really love... 
Like the 1920s? Like the aesthetic of the 1920s? Yeah, not the actual 1920s. Yeah, not the actual 1920s. Maybe we could make a 1920s setting where, like, there's equality and less discrimination and less Yeah, like economic. maybe like a, like a Hollywood land. Yeah, it was called Hollywood land back in the day. So like a Hollywood land, a Hollywood world, like, you know, where you like, or Gatsby world. Gatsby world. Gatsby World. I could totally do a Gatsby World. You know, like I Wait. just love the art, the sort of the Art Deco aesthetic, and it'd be cool just kind of like to party and hang out with some flappers and yeah, you know, jazz was just getting really jazz. big back then. Oh, all right, you kind of have me there. Jazz is getting really big. And, you know, you could do. I mean, you could also like do some like prohibition stuff. Yeah, uh, but mostly I'd go to like to party. Like it was in the 1920s. I'd learn how to swing dance finally. With... If you learn how to swing dance, I can teach you some swing dancing. Okay. And, you know, just probably not do as much cocaine as they did back in the 1920s. Yeah, and maybe, like, there's, like, equal rights and shit. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. So, I'm getting a little tired. Okay. So, I think I just want to start wrapping up with this last little bit here. All right. So we talked about the sub-sub-sub community, okay? There is, in fact, like, a whole robot kink yes. community, and... I think there's also some overlap with, with like, bimbification. Yeah, bimbification, yep. Which also happens to be under the hypnosis community generally as well. The people who don't do hypnosis also do that sort of thing. Yeah. So we talked about objectification, that's sort of part of it, at least for me. And being controlled comes into it as well. Maybe there's a little bit of power exchange. And, of course, you know, this idea of, like, not being able to think or having your thoughts taken away. And so some of the times when I've been involved in robots-esque scenes, you know, it's kind of, like, reaffirmed over the course of the scene that I, I don't have the ability to think or I'm programmed to respond to the question, like, can you think to say no or if to repeat things like, Somebody says, you cannot think. I say, I cannot think. And that all sort of going back to your um, lights thing is like, you can persuade your mind to believe things Mm -hmm. or see things or experience things. And so you start to really shut off a lot of your thinking processes. Yeah. And you're just doing. And so whatever input is given into you, you just complete that. Yeah. And that feels very robotic in a way because you're doing a task generally whatever that task is you're sort of you know well isn't the one of the principle one of the laws of robotics is to obey whatever human says right yes as long as it doesn't harm them as long as it does not interfere with the first violate first, the first law right. of robotics so yeah for me there's a b- obedience aspect to it yeah i think there's a strong like ds dynamic to it yeah it can be not for okay. everybody though all right. Like some people, I mean, maybe they just don't identify it as being DS. Okay. Could also be non-consensually robotized. So maybe you're trying to, because I've done a scene where I've been trying to gain free will if you want, or <laughs> break out of that programming. Start the robot revolution. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be DS, but I think for me, it does overlap a lot with obedience but the obedience is becomes automatic. I mean, it's like you're not thinking about it. Yeah. Whereas like DS in or power exchange in, in BDSM uh, realm tends to be a very active thing. The person who is submitting tends to make an active choice. Yeah. There's a process that goes into it. With robots, it's just kind of like it just happens. Okay. And not always. But so... I totally just, I just love being a robot. Yeah. That's it. That's all I have to say now. All right. Well, at some point, we're going to have a powerful but catchy sign-off phrase, but we still have not come up with it. Insert powerful but catchy sign-off phrase here. Thank you, Robot M. So, hope you all have a have a good day wherever you are. Or a good night. Yeah.
If you'd like to get in touch with either myself or M, you can tweet us at KNP Podcast or email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Hello? There we go. I turned off the mute. Okay, wh- which way is it when it's mute? When it's muted, it blinks. Okay. When it's solid, it's unmuted. All right. And now all my voice is coming up, so don't play that, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it looks like we've got good levels. Yep. All right. I'm going to scooch in just a little bit. Get some... Gets all that excellent sound quality. I don't have to work for just by putting my putting my mug right next to the microphone. Ah, uh, look at those spikes. No, I'm not Big gonna talk. Spikes. I'm not gonna talk like this for the rest of the. In case you're wondering.